Genesis chapter 22. This is um, probably for most here, if not all, it is a familiar passage of, of Scripture. And um, I have preached messages out of this passage of Scripture before. It's interesting, each time I study it, it just seems like the Lord just gives me something different, fresh, and new. We're at a, we're at a, a place in our life, my family, where, um, and some of you already passed this place, some of you will get to this place, and some of you are, are, are here sharing this, this place with us. This, this past year, um, our youngest started school. And so for, for the last, our son will be 17, so for the last 17 years, we've always had um, a child at home. And then Jacob went off to school, and then Kaylee was at home, and then Kaylee went off to school, and then Mackenzie was home, and then Lily went off to school, and Chloe was home. And for us then, this year, Chloe goes off to school. And um, it, it, um, it about sent my wife into this like depression state, you know, so much so to where she bought a puppy um, to try to try to aggravate me. Um, I mean, try to compensate for not having one at home. And, and um, puppy's worse than having a baby. It is. It, it's, it's horrible. Um, but for, for, for us that I, I remember, I remember in the beginning, I... Uh, my wife, I, I, we'd drop her off. She'd, she'd drop off our kids at school. For all these years, she never dropped her kids off at school. She, um, she just loved sitting at home, drinking coffee, and getting the kids ready, and you know, taking her time in the morning. Then all of a sudden, Chloe starts school, and she's up and dressed. Alarm's going off. She's up, and she's dressed, and she's like ready to take them to school. And I thought, this is great. This is fun. So I can sit at home and drink coffee and, you know, and take my time. And so she'd come, she'd bring Chloe into school. She'd come in here, she'd sit with Chloe, and Chloe would go with her teacher, and she'd cry as Chloe's walking away. It got so bad, Chloe finally said to my wife, Mom, you don't have to walk me to class, you know? The kids are making fun of me, you know? Mom, it's, I'm in school now. Leave me alone, you know? And um, so we, we sat, I remember we sat at a restaurant one morning, and she just, I mean, she just melted mine. Chloe's at school. Like, life is over for us, you know? And She's like, soon they're all going to be out of the house, and it's just going to be me and you, and man, life's horrible, you know? Um, what are we going to do? And so that was like a, that was a, a new, even though we had four previously through school, that emotion was a new emotion for us because it was the last one. And then we, then, then we're now on the, the other end of that in the same time where speaking with our son and we're planning and he's planning his his future and you know you always as parents what are you, you going to do when you grow up but you just never expect your kids to grow up and then all of a sudden you realize they're growing up like they're getting older and they've got a life and they don't need us you know and just going through all of those all of those emotions and we're planning and talking about things and, and um, really starting to plan some things. My wife is, and I as well, equally, we're like realizing, you know, life is short. In everything that we're investing into our kids, it's coming, especially for Jacob, it's coming to the place where he's got to start living it. We're not going to be able to make decisions for him anymore. We, 
he came to me last night. He said, Dad, I need to get my bike to the church. I think he thought I was going to say, well, put it in the back of the van, you know. I hope he didn't think he's, I was going to say, well, I'll ride it up there. You know, he knew that was going to happen. So we came up with this plan, get up early in the morning, and you can just ride your bike to, to school from the house. It's only a few miles. We knew, we knew the last person that we were going to tell this plan was, was Michelle. Because Michelle still sees Jacob like on a big wheel, you know, and a tricycle. That's how she sees him. She doesn't see him, you know, able to ride his bike out of the neighborhood. So he got up and gave me the thumbs up. And I said, all right, bud. He said, Dad, I'm going to go. And he leaves. And Michelle comes in. And remember when God said to Adam, where art thou, Adam? And God knew where Adam was. I had one of those where art thou, Adam moments this morning. She comes in the room. She says, where is Jacob? Knowing that the girl snitched on him. And I said, well, he's at school. Well, how did he get there? She knew where he was. She knew how he was getting there. I said, he's on his bike. You let him ride his bike by himself? I said, Michelle, he's talking about like joining the army and going to boot camp next summer. I mean, at, at some point, we need to let him ride his bike out of the neighborhood by himself, you know? Don't worry, he's got a helmet, and he had a, he had a reflector vest, and I mean, he was all set, everything's fine. But it was just funny because he's growing up, and we still see him as, he's, he left the neighborhood like we can't see him from the street. You let him in the street by himself? Don't you know there's crazy people? that are driving? I said, well, not quite yet. You're still here, <laughs> so he's going to be safe. And so she rushed so that she could get behind him and, and follow him to school. And I just thought, you know, for, our, for us, what we're doing, the, what we've invested, we're at the place in our life to where our children are going to now have to start living it on their own. We're not going to be able to, very long from now, go into his room and say, have you read your Bible today? Have you prayed today? I'm not going to. He went out with a friend the other night, and, and um, we don't allow that very often. And so I just kind of drill him, drill him every time. Hey, make sure you're this. Make sure this. Just you're te- be a testimony. Every time he goes someplace, if it's on a school trip or whatever it may be, I always say, son, don't forget your testimony for Christ. Be a good testimony. You only, you only have one life. Live it. Make it count for Christ. And I share that with him. And recently I've been reminded that there's going to be a time where he's going to leave and I'm not going to be there to say, now, son, make sure you read your Bible. Make sure you make good decisions. He is going to have to make those decisions on his own. He's going to have to live a life, I pray, pleasing to the Lord. And so in that, that's kind of where we're at. That's kind of like what's on our mind. And it seems like every conversation my wife and I have, it leads to, to this type of thing. The kids are growing up. Have we made good decisions? Will they make good decisions? It causes us to pray differently. It causes us to think differently. It causes, for me, 
to evaluate the decisions I'm making. Are they, are they God-glorifying decisions so that the, my kids see my testimony and desire to have a relationship with God based upon that testimony? And so with all of that in mind, I, the Lord brought me to Genesis chapter number 22, and I began to read and pray and study this portion of Scripture. This is an interesting portion of Scripture because the Lord is going to ask Abraham to do something that's totally insane. He says in verse number one, Abraham, I want you to, in verse number two, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now think about that. God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son. You know, you're going to go to Moriah, and there's a mountain there that I want you to go to, and I want you to sacrifice your son on this mountain. I mean, how many, how many of you, like, would at all think that was a good idea? Anybody? Like, at the worst, when your kid has, like, frustrated you the most, you still wouldn't say, you know what I'm going to do? You're getting sacrificed today. That sounds like a great idea. You know, not even at your worst, you would think that was ever a good idea. Yet God said to Abraham, this is what I desire for you to do. And through this story, we find that Abraham goes on this journey. He gets all the way to the place where he sets Isaac on this altar to where the knife is over Isaac. I mean, think about that. And so in this passage of Scripture, I just want to give you, I want to give you a, few, a few thoughts here this evening. Really what I want to do is just share with you um, a study that the Lord is doing in my life and some thoughts the Lord had put in my life in preparing for, for, for me, it's parenting. But I believe this, you say, well, my kids are grown. I, I, I'm not, I believe that if you have life, then you should be investing your life in the life of somebody else. Your investment isn't done when your kids are grown. There's still more to invest in. This, this story also reminded me of this. How old was Abraham at this time? Somebody guess. Just throw a number out there. Well, how old was he when Isaac was born? Ab Sarah was... 90. He was 100. Isaac now is old enough to make a journey with his dad. And so he is probably, I would, I would probably put Abraham at probably between 112 or so if he's a teenager, 112, 115. Abraham is an old man. And that's important to realize because some of us get to the place where we feel it's time for a younger generation now. I'm, I'm older, my days are, you know, my good days are behind me. 
Abraham, Abraham was at this point in his life at an older age in life. And that's important for us because I believe none of us ever get to a place where we're done influencing other people. If you're here and you're saved and you have life, then you should take the responsibility of influencing a generation coming up behind you. It's important. And so here, here let me just give you a, a few thoughts here tonight. And um, whether it's with parenting, whether it's with at work, whatever it is, I believe that we should apply these things to our life as Christians. I want you to see from this perspective this evening, we've, I've preached and I've studied this passage of scripture. What Abraham, what was he going through? What was he thinking and what was he going through when God asked Abraham to do the unthinkable? But I want to ask you this evening, what was Isaac thinking and what was Isaac going through when God asked Abraham to do the unthinkable? What do you think he was thinking? When he placed himself up on that altar and his dad stood there with a knife over him, what do you think Isaac was thinking? That had to have been hard for Isaac. It had to have been, you know, there was no reasoning with Abraham because Abraham was doing what God told him to do. So it didn't matter what Isaac thought at the time. He knew and he felt, if this is what God told my dad to do, I'm not changing my dad's mind. And so here, here in this passage of Scripture, let me just give you some verses here. We'll study these verses, give you some thoughts, and we'll be finished here this evening. And again, in verse number one and two, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And there's some things, some lessons, I believe, that Isaac could learn from from his father. And I started with the story this evening with my children, with my son, because my mind has been on this thought of as I'm raising my children, my children are going to be leaving the house. Kaylee reminded me yesterday, we were together and she said, Dad, I am going to have a birthday at uh, the end of this month. And I totally forgot. I said, you are. I said, are you going to be a teenager this year? And she said, Dad, I'm four, I'll be 14. I said, oh, so you're going to be a teenager this year. She said, I was a teenager last year, Dad. Um, like in my second, like I offended her by even saying, are you going to be a teenager this year, you know? And so she, she's getting older, and she's, I've got a daughter that is a second-year teenager. Is that even, is that what you, is that what you say, a second-year teenager? Yeah. And so it just causes me to think what am I investing my children? What am I living? And what are my children seeing me live? What do my children think about when they think about my relationship with God? What do my children think about when they think about my prayer life or my Bible reading life or my devotional life or my, my commitment to the Lord? What are my children thinking? I've heard this said often, what we do in moderation, our children are going to do in excess. And so if you, in moderation, shy away from the Lord or allow things in your home in moderation, what you're setting the example is what's probably going to happen. Your children are going to do things in excess. 
And I thought to myself, so if I, if that be true, and it's the positive version of that then, so if I serve the Lord in excess, then I'm hoping my children would serve the Lord doubly in excess. But here, here Isaac was learning something. That's the one I want to look at this evening. What did Isaac learn? From his perspective, what did he learn from his father? And the first thing I want you to see is this. Isaac learned from his father that God is interested in faith, in stretching his children's faith. No matter what age you were at, remember Abraham is at an older age in his life, but God was still interested in stretching Abraham's faith. We as Christians, we can never get to the place in our Christian life where we get comfortable or we've arrived or we kind of put in coast mode as a Christian. God is always seeking to increase our faith. Remember the Bible says the just shall live by faith. We need, as the older that we get, we need to realize there is a generation that's coming up behind us. You know, I think back, one of the greatest memories that I have growing up is growing up in church. We were there all the time. We knew where every nook and cranny was in the church. We, we had a church in Philadelphia, and it was an old Masonic hall, Masonic Lodge. And so in the auditorium, they had the, the eye. Like, it was, it was like a hundred a hundred um, uh, spotlights pretty much made up that auditorium. And I know that because I counted them every single service. <laughs> but you could actually climb up. We found a ladder that you could climb up and it was a three-story building. And you could climb up that, that, that ladder that we found in the closet. And you can go above that our auditorium that had a, a ceiling about like this. And you could look down through, those, through, that, through that ceiling and you could see what was going on. I mean, we found all kinds of things. We found, if it could be found, we found it. And the reason why, we were at church all the time. And some of the greatest memories I, can ha- I have is growing up in church, growing up in the house of God. And, and I, remember, I remember fellowships. My parents, we constantly had people at our house after church, it seemed like, and, and, and we got to know each other because we were either at their house or they were at our house. It just seemed to me growing up, that was what normal was. That's what everybody did. You're at church and you had church people over constantly. It was exciting. And those were great memories that we had growing up. In growing up, those memories that my parents put me through and allowed us to, 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 to experience, it, it framed how I thought as an adult and what's right and what's wrong. Here, Isaac's at a place where God is challenging his dad, his father, to do something that requires faith. I believe if we're not careful, we live in a Christianity today that doesn't require a lot of faith because we like everything figured out, don't we? Are you, are, I'm one of those, as I sit with my son, I am trying to figure out, you know, what's in five years, what's in 10 years, and this is what you need to do, and this is what you need to, and, and we're planning to be sure that all the ducks are in a row, and this is what you need to start doing, and we're planning all these things, and in my mind, I just need to know everything's figured out, we've got everything planned, but what I'm experiencing is this, I'm going to teach my son that you can plan your life, and what we're forgetting is it takes a level of faith to do it. And then I have to evaluate myself and say, what am I doing right now in my Christian life that requires faith? Right now in my Christian life, right now in your Christian life, what are you doing that is requiring a level of faith? Because we understand this, God desires us to walk by faith. 
This, this Christian life, this, this everything's easy and everything's supplied and in this prosperity gospel that we are as Christians, that's not New Testament Christianity. The reality was many New Testament Christians, if not all first generation Christians, they lived a persecuted life. They lived a poor life. They lived a life that, that it wasn't of ease and of blessing. Matter of fact, they weren't even asking God to make those things happen because that's not why they got saved so all the problems would go away. That's not why they got saved to make life easier. They got saved because they realized their need of salvation through Jesus Christ. And then after they got saved, they lived a tremendous life of faith. And God is always going to put us in a place that causes our faith to be increased. And and here what we find, Isaac is learning something from his father. He's learning that God is intended on purpose, he's intent on challenging Abraham to increase his faith. We need to be sure that we're teaching our children, we need to be sure that we're teaching a generation coming up behind us that God desires his children to live by faith and therefore we need to be actively living by faith. I mean, putting ourselves out there to where we're, we're, we're out where we don't have the plan. It's not our decision. It's not our direction. But we know it's where God wants us to be. And we are where we are because we are living by faith. There's a story. How many of you have read George Mueller's biography? Anybody? George Mueller is an incredible missionary. Not anymore. George Mueller's not a missionary today. He's in heaven today. But he was an incredible missionary. He had an orphanage, and every day he would be praying in food to feed these children. He didn't publicize. He wasn't living in a day of social media and wasn't living in a day of television and wasn't living in in a day of of great travel where he could travel around supporting uh, this orphanage and letting everyone know of of what, uh, what the needs were in the orphanage. He had to truly depend upon God. His faith in God is what kept that orphanage going. And so what he would do is he would bow in prayer in the morning. He'd say, God, you know what's needed to keep this orphanage going. I know you want this orphanage to be here. I know you want me to be doing this here. And God, I'm depending upon you by faith. I'm trusting you. And you know what? Every single evening, a meal would come or every single evening, resources would come so those children could be fed. And never, never, never did God fail George Mueller. George Mueller constantly lived a life of faith. And what those orphanages, uh, uh, those children at orphanage saw is that God answers prayer, that God provides, that when somebody steps out by faith, God always proves himself to be trustworthy. What I've thought through in my life, what am I doing by faith? Because I don't want my children to plan their life the way they want it planned and not live a life of faith. I believe Christians ought to be out there where if God left us, we'd drown we're in it so deep. We ought to be doing something, and our kids ought to be seeing God work. Slim this past week went into the went into the hospital, and and it it, it was Monday. My wife and I were up there Monday at the hospital in the ICU, and it, it wasn't good news. They they said to him, if that clot breaks loose and and something happens, and there were multiple blood clots in his abdomen and down his leg, and they said. 
If, if it gets bad and it gets to your foot and you, you lose circulation to your foot, we might have to cut your foot off. Imagine Slim mowing the lawn with one foot. You know he'd do it, though. Dorothy was concerned. We were there, and they had a little ultrasound thing, and he went to the one foot, and they heard, his, heard his, uh, the, the, the blood flowing. They went to the foot, his right foot, and they didn't hear the blood flowing. It was faint. The doctor said, we're going to give you this medication, but if, if, if it doesn't break up these clots, we're going to have to go in, and, and there's two options. One is a severe option, and the other is still pretty se- severe. It's bypass surgery on the, the main artery there. And I remember we would tell our kids, and for Monday and Tuesday, they were praying, little, little, our littlest ones, they're praying for Slim. My daughter came home from school today, and she said, we prayed for Slim today at school, Dad. I talked to Dorothy this evening, and even leading up to this morning, the, they were concerned they might have to do this, this uh, 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 extensive surgery on him, and, and, and literally hundreds of people have been praying for him. Matter of fact, there were kids all day at school praying for him. And Dorothy, uh, often over, the, uh, over the, this afternoon, she'd call and she'd say, I haven't heard anything yet. And finally, a doctor came out to her early this evening and said, we were able to go in and just put the stents in and, and that the doctors think everything's going to be fine. He's a full recovery, no, no major surgery, no, no bypass surgery. And, and just doing the stents, we think that's going to solve all the issues. And she said, the doctor said he's going to be good for another 10 years. Now, Oscar got another 60 years. Slim almost only got another 10, but that's pretty good. Listen, God worked. And we need to be sure that when God works, and we need to be sure that when we're praying and God answers prayer, we need to tell people, we need to rejoice, we need to let our children know, we need to let a generation know coming up that God answers prayer. By faith, we ask God, and God answers prayer, and we ought to rejoice in that. But I'm afraid this, if we're not careful, Christian, we're no longer living a life of faith. We're living a life of common sense. We're living a life of everything's working out. We're living a life of what's going to make my life easy. And no longer are we going to live a life of faith that requires us totally depending upon God. And I believe who's going to suffer is the generation coming up behind us because they won't see God work. My dad was a church planter and there were he chose not to go out and raise any support. And so he would simply go to a town and if he needed to get a part-time job, he would Why? Why he started the church just to get things going. And I remember oftentimes, I, 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 we were so poor growing up, but we didn't know we were poor. Anybody else like that? You didn't even know you were poor. I didn't know I was poor until I got older and realized we're poor. Someone told you, you guys are poor. I remember there were times, and as a kid, I didn't really understand what was going on, but looking back now, I remember there were times we'd go to the cupboards, and there wasn't a whole lot in there. I mean, I specifically went going knowing the little oatmeal packets. We had these little oatmeal packets that you added, added hot water to. I remember as a kid before school going there, and that was the less last thing in our cabinet before we... I'm not talking... Everything else that was open that was behind it, I'm talking that was the last thing left in the cabinet, in the cupboard. I remember eating that for, for breakfast, going to school. That evening, I remember the knock on the door before dinner time, and somebody with bags of groceries just come walking in. 
And it was like the first time I remember they were like the Lucky Charms that weren't the off-brand. These were the real Lucky Charms. <laughs> and they taste better than the off-brand Lucky Charms. I mean, these were like name-brand stuff. And I remember as a kid, like, these are name-brand stuff. We've never, e- I don't even know what these things taste like. Because we were used to getting the off-brand stuff, you know, the no-frills stuff, the white boxes, not the colorful boxes, you know. And I remember that happening often. I remember as a kid, I didn't understand it. I look back now and it makes more sense, but I remember God moving and God supplying and meeting needs. I'm glad that I had parents that had a, a life of faith they were willing to go to a place and, and, and start a church in a place there was no church, and I saw God work. Brother Neil and I were out in California at a college, and we were looking for school teachers, and he was interviewing some teachers, and him and I went out there, and there was a bunch of displays of, of, of uh, um, schools, Christian schools. And across one, I said to him, I said, there is one from Green, Green River, Wyoming, and I said, I think that's the church my dad started. I caught up to the pastor there, and we talked a little bit and asked him about the church, and sure enough, it was the, it was the church and the school that my dad had started back in 1970-something. And I was talking to him, and I told him some history about the church that he had no idea even about, and, and I walked away, and I'm thinking, Faith, a level of faith. Move your family from Michigan to a place where you don't know anybody out in Wyoming and start a church. And all these years later, from, from the mid-70s till now, that church is still going and that school is still going and people are still being saved and God's still doing a great work. Why? Because it, caught, it was required by someone with a level of faith to go do that. It encouraged me as I saw that display and I talked to that preacher. It encouraged me to know that my dad, he had a level of faith. He trusted God. And all these years later, it God is still using that work. That encouraged me, and I needed that encouragement that day. Here we find Isaac. He learned from his dad. He learned from his father that God, he's interested in the faith of his children. I want you to see in verse number 13, if you would please, of chapter 22, the Bible says, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thickets by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Put yourself here in this story. Here is Isaac on the altar. His dad is standing over him with a knife. Isaac thinks, dad's lost his mind, and I'm going to die. There's no hope. He could yell, but there's nobody around. He's tied up, he's on this altar. He asked his dad, hey, dad, what's, we got all these things, but where's the sacrifice? And, and Abraham says, son, God's going to provide. And I can imagine Isaac in his mind is probably thinking, anytime now, God. <laughs> anytime. I want you to see in verse number 13, Abraham, he lifts his eyes. He sees over here there's a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. Abraham went and, caught and took that ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. I want you to see that Isaac here, he learned from his father that God is able to supply despite our fear and despite what we think our needs are. 
Abraham chose to live a life by faith. And what that did, it showed Isaac that God can supply even in your fear and even in a place where there's a great need, God is still able to supply. Listen, we need to teach our children, we need to teach the generation coming up that God, he can supply. But we're not going to teach him that unless we decide that we're going to live a life of faith that will show that God can supply. We need to be careful, as I said earlier, that we don't plan and have every step the way we think it ought to be and leave God out of it and leave faith out of it because what we're showing our kids is good common sense and good decisions. That's what you need in life. No, if we're going to raise godly children that one day are going to go out and serve the Lord, what we need to show them and teach them is that by faith, God supplies. When a Christian walks by faith, even if it's a place of fear, even if we get to a place where we have great need, God is able to supply. I think it's healthy for us that God brings our families at a place where it looks almost hopeless so that he can supply. I think that's what our children need. I think that's what the generation coming up behind us, those that are in Awana, those that are in the youth group, our teenagers that are sitting here tonight, they need to see that God is in control and we are the ones that say it's the 11th hour. Listen to me, we're the ones that made up that time frame. God didn't say it's the 11th hour, oh no, what am I gonna do? We get to a place in life because we're in a place of fear. We get into a place of life because we have great needs, but it's not the 11th hour for God. God's in control from the very beginning. We just need to live a life to show others that God's able and he's able to meet our needs even in a place of great fear. God's able to meet our needs. I want you to see in verse number two, and he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, get thee into the land of Moriah. Offer your son there. In verse number eight, he said, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So we went both of them together. I want you to see thirdly here, Isaac learned from his father that you don't have to know the whole story in order to be obedient to God. And that's important. God asked Abraham to do something. He didn't give him the whole story. Abraham was still obedient. We need to be sure that we're living lives of obedience. Even at times when things don't necessarily make sense in our human reasoning. Because there is a generation, there's our children, there's a generation coming behind us. They're watching what we say. But more important, they're watching what we do. And we can talk the talk, we can use the church lingo, but if we're not living it, we're damaging and hurting our children. Our kids need to see that, that we are obedient. You know what, this doesn't make sense. You know what, we can't, we, can't, we can't figure this out, but this is what God desires for us, and this is what we have to do. And I'm telling you, there are biblical principles that we're going to teach our children, and it doesn't always make sense but it's right. 
And we can't just figure out, does it make sense? Do we want to do it? Is it going to, is the end, are, are, are the ends going to meet here? Is, is, this, is this good common sense? Sometimes, sometimes what God asks us to do doesn't always make human sense. That's why it takes faith. But here what we find, Isaac, he saw his father being obedient to God even when he didn't have all the answers. Lastly, I want you to see this, Isaac, in verse number 16. In verse number 15, and the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. I want you to see this lastly. Isaac learned something from his father as well. He learned this. There's more to life than what I want. What God wants is more important than what I want. What God's after is more important than what I can ever want. We have got to stop living selfish Christian lives. I had lunch, and I'll be done with this. I had lunch with Ed Sitter. Ed Sitter is the executive director of the Foundation for Life. I had lunch with him on Tuesday, I think, of this week, yesterday, or Monday. The Foundation of Life is a nonprofit here in the Toledo area. It's not a pregnancy center. They work with pregnancy centers, but their foundation for life, it's working from, from life conception all the way to elderly. And he gave me some information that I thought was just incredible. 50, 50%, 50% of abortions in this country are in the African-American community. The African community, uh, African-American community, he told me, in this country makes up 13% of our population. 50% of all the abortions in this country take place in 13% of our population. That ought to... That ought to cause us inside to motivate us. 51% of all abortions in this country take place in women 24 years and younger. And then all of the emotional scars and the guilt then that she carries from a teenager all through the rest of her life in some cases, are just very severe. He told me the history of Planned Parenthood and the, from its inception, it was population control in the inner cities. That's what's the point of it. And so by their purpose of starting, that's success for them. This country, I've said this before to our church, our country will not give financial aid to a third world country unless that country has legalized abortion. We won't give them, we won't feed them unless they have legalized abortion in their country. Do you know that? Our country won't give financial aid. It's at a place though that it's not just baby in the womb, he said there's 
this big push now when children are born with mental deficiencies or physical problems. There's a big push that it's doing them a favor by taking their life. Because they're going to live in pain. Their life's going to be horrible. They could live in institutions. And who would want to put someone, why would you put someone that you love through something like that? It's in their best interest. Two-thirds of our national budget is caring for entitlements. Social Security, Medicaid. <laughs> I told our service today at 1 o'clock service, I said, you know, how many of you are 75 and older? And there was over 50 people in there, and half of them raised their hand. And I said, you know what the problem is? You're not supposed to be alive. And they all looked at me. I said, yeah. Modern medicine is causing people to live longer and longer, and that's putting a strain on society. And so what, what is happening in society? Society is devaluing life. So you know what we do? We put in the hands of our, our children video games that are so lifelike. I mean, you're like blowing the heads off of people. Just devalue life. So now life is not important. Life's not real. So now what you find, you find people that are just on purpose hurting people. You ever see these videos of just kids going in and beating up kids? And now, now, now you can fight. You can be mean-spirited because human life is nothing. It's nothing. We're teaching a society that human life is worthless and human life is nothing. And you know what? You are just a, there was a video, how many of you saw that video of that, those two Christian uh, uh, teenagers that were, were there t uh, giving out information uh, against abortion and trying to give pe uh, people at this public school, uh, high school, a, um, the gospel, and the assistant principal came out and, and, and got on them and, and, and they said something to him and he says, he turns around and he says, they're just cells, you see that? They're just cells. This is an assistant principal at a high school in our country. When they asked him about abortion, about killing, murdering babies, he turned to them and he said, they're just cells. They're not life. We get to the place where we're just devaluing life in our culture. And listen, that's not what God intended. The only thing that God breathed into the breath of life was the human race. He didn't breathe into the breath of life animals. He didn't breathe into the breath of life any other part of creation. It was man that he reached down, he formed out of dust and ground, and then breathed into man the breath of life. And it's right now in our society, we're devaluing life. We're telling people, just live your life however you want to live it. Live it whatever way you want to live it. Live it for whoever you want to live it. Because all that matters is your life and what you want to live. Because when you die, you're done. That is so opposite how we as Christians ought to be raising our children. That is so opposite that we as Christians ought to be raising up another generation. Those that are in Mat uh, uh, Awana tonight, those that are in youth group tonight, those that are being ministered this evening, listen to me, those children ought to be learning that God has a specific plan for them, that God has a design for their life, that they are not a mistake, they're not an accident, they're not just a bunch of cells, but they are a real life human being that has a soul that 
God wants to save and that God wants to redeem and then God wants to use them to do great things for his glory. What Isaac learned from his father was this, there's more to life than me. There's God's plan. God has a plan for your life. And we ought to be teaching our children to find out what God wants and equip them to do it with all of their might. I, I hate the thought of my son next year leaving you know where he wants to go? Fort Benning. So we just left there. Let's go to Fort Benning and then the next year go back to school and then go off to college. I hate the thought of that. Not because I'm going to miss him, but his mom is, and I've got to put up with her while she's missing him, you know? I'll probably end up getting another puppy or something, you know? But if he seeks God and he does what God wants him to do and he walks by faith and he's obedient when life doesn't always make sense and he realizes that his life is not about his dreams but his life is about finding God and running hard at that. I guess no matter where he goes, if that's what he does, I'll just have to thank God and put up with a crying mom. Who are you investing in? What are you doing right now that requires a level of faith that those behind you can look at and say, wow. What path are you on right now of obedience? That doesn't always make sense, but those that you're investing in can look and say, that's what I want to live. And what are you investing by being obedient to God that is showing your children and showing a generation that you're investing in that God's plan is greater than anything that you can decide you want for yourself? I think it's a question that we need to ask. And we need to ask that because this country, this generation, they need God's help. We need to raise a generation that'll go after godly things with all of their might.